This is the Health Rebels podcast hosted by me, Steve Hicks. I have over a decade of experience as a personal trainer. And during that time, I have watched the smartest fitness advice fail people because we keep thinking that health and fitness is an individual's problem. The reality is there are forces all around us that are constantly pushing us to a default of being unhealthy and unhappy. To become truly healthy and happy, we have to rebel against those forces. So if you're ready to steal back control over your health and happiness, join me as we strip away the nonsense and show you the simple, healthy habits that will transform you into a health rebel. Let's dive into today's episode. Welcome, Rebel. Today is uh, today's a really interesting episode. Today, what I want to do is I want to highlight my flawed history as a coach. And this is kind of a different approach. Usually with being a new podcast, being a new host, you would expect me to try to talk about how awesome I am, how great my coaching is, how infallible my process is, how I'm the greatest coach on the face of the planet. And I don't think that would do you any favors. I don't think that would do you any good value. And I think, I think it would just be brutally dishonest. So I want to be honest today and I want to share the highlights that I've made over my career as a coach because ultimately, if I'm honest, I've made a lot and they're not uncommon mistakes. They're guaranteed mistakes that everybody is going to make when they're starting out, especially when they're starting out. And what I'm hoping to do today is that if I can shine a spotlight on the mistakes that I've made, maybe I can use my experience to give you a shortcut to success so that you don't have to stumble in the same places that I stumbled. And let's be completely honest, with over a decade of experience working with clients, I have a multitude, I have a wealth of experience that is really, really hard to match. Look, each year, I work with over 20 clients every year, over 20 different individual bodies doing different workout routines, trying new experiments, discovering how one program works for one body and may not work for another body, right? So each year, between myself and clients, I've got the lived experience of at least 21 years worth of fitness experiments each and every year. Right? Through my profession, I got to experience more than one year per year. I got 20 years per year of experience. And with over a decade, I'm coming up on 12 years in a couple months, I have well over 240 years of fitness experiments under my belt. And hell yeah, with that much time, with that many experiments, with that much experience, hell yeah, I made mistakes. And you know what? With the blessing of that much experience, I've been blessed to be able to make mistakes faster than any other person can. Which means, luckily, I've also gotten to get to solutions faster. So what I want to do today is I want to highlight those mistakes, the solutions I've made to these mistakes, so that you can jumpstart right to a straight line to success so you don't have to stumble through the same stumbling blocks that I did. And the first big mistake that I made in my career was giving one-size-fits-all programming. It didn't matter who came into my office, who came and hired me. They got the same workout. And it's, uh, I think this is a really common mistake for every profession, right? When you're brand new, you just don't know enough to be able to make 
changes, to make nuanced approaches. And the best example of this I can come up with was when I was first starting out at a gym, I was working with two college-aged kids. They were both interns at Microsoft, and I won't tell you their names because confidentiality, but let's go ahead and call them Chad and Michael, just for conversation purposes. Now, Chad and Michael had exact opposite goals. They were exact opposite people. Chad, you know, had the freshman 15 and did it again his sophomore year. And it didn't really slow down much his junior and senior year. He had put on a fair bit of weight during college and he wanted to take that back off and get back to his high school weight. Now, Michael, on the other hand, had always grown up a beanpole, had never left the beanpole stage, was scrawny as all get out. I think he was about five foot 10 and 125 pounds. He was skinny and he wanted to put on muscle. So obviously having two clients, one that wanted fat loss and one that wanted to build muscle, I did the only same thing possible. I gave them the same exact workout regardless of what they wanted. I gave one size fits all programming and look, let's be honest, that's, it's just kind of what you do as a new professional and it's what you do when you're new to any pursuit. And unfortunately, it's also what we see people do as individuals. How many times have we seen people Say, I want to work out, ask a buddy, ask a neighbor, and their buddy or neighbor will give them the same exact workout that they're doing, regardless of the person's starting point, regardless of their goals, regardless of their personalities, regardless of their physical abilities. They'll get the same workouts that their buddy gets. Oh, yeah, 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 man, I'll teach you how to work out. Come, come work out and just join me. That's not individualized. That's not appropriate. Let's be completely honest. A college running back on the, on the football team needs a completely different workout than Nancy, mother of three, right? They're going to have completely different life experiences, different recovery abilities. They're going to have different life demands. They're going to have a, a, a world of differences. And we need to have individualization to accommodate the individual person. We need to choose things that are appropriate for each individual on an individual level. I am becoming radical about individual appropriateness. One of the central tenets of my coaching, the Rebel Oath, talks about being energized by healthy habits. I use this as a litmus test to see what is individually appropriate, something that is healthy for one person, something that's healthy for me may not be healthy for another client, right? We need to make things, we need to make recommendations based on an individual level. Another mistake that I made for far too many years is the first half of my career, I completely ignored nutrition. Look, I hate talking about nutrition. I always have and I probably always will. I just... I always thought it was like Shakespeare's play. It's much ado about nothing. For me, and this is a different experience than I know most people had. For me, I felt confident that everything I ever needed to know about nutrition, I learned in preschool, right? People told me to eat your fruits and vegetables. People told me not to eat too much. That seemed, seemed pretty easy. Have three square meals a day, eat your fruits and vegetables, and Go on, be healthy. And to me, nutrition always seemed like it was overly complicated. Like we were 
making complexities where it didn't need to be. Like we were, we were just trying to seem really cool and really knowledgeable when the reality is preschoolers know more than we do most of the time. But I have to be brutally honest. That is not the same experience most clients have. That is not the same understanding that most people have. Most people in the modern lifestyle have been inundated and indoctrinated with diet culture. There's a ton of misinformation. There's a lot of contra con contradictory information. There's straight up confusion and, and lies and, and weird religious dogma around nutrition that's just made people confused and not know what to do. We no longer know how to eat. And that breaks my heart. Uh, we no longer know what to eat. I mean, look, I talked to you about in preschool, they taught me to eat your fruits and vegetables. I saw on the internet a couple of years ago, people were talking about how unhealthy bananas are because they have too much fructose. It went from eat your fruits and vegetables to, oh God, don't eat fruits. Now there's the carnivore diet where plants are bad for you. And it's so damn confusion. Ah, so upsetting. It's so upsetting because it shouldn't be this complicated. But because it is complicated, there is a need for someone to offer clarity, for someone to offer hope, for someone to pull the threads and, and create a single narrative, to create clarity and understanding, and to give give some rules and some healthy habits that are sustainable and accessible and approachable and beneficial. There's a lot of nutritional information out there that is straight up harmful and I want people to avoid that. So with my coaching, what I've had to do is kind of create a rebel approach to nutrition, something that is nutrition by addition, focusing on the healthy habits. I created a tracking system with clients where we do a point-based system based on the healthy habits that you have around food to empower people to make choices, to give people clarity on what habits should be. And so I want to ignore nutrition, but I can't. And it's not fair and it's not reasonable for, for you as an individual to ignore nutrition as well because there is a lot of misconstrued misconceptions and misinformation out there. We do need to focus on a clean, simple approach to nutrition. But nutrition is not the only thing I ignored. I ignored everything if it wasn't exercise. I just worked out with clients for years. And to be honest, this makes sense. Personal training, or sorry, personal trainers, bread and butter is workouts. It's what we're trained in. It's what we're educated in. It's what we're schooled in. It's what we're guided in. It's what we're certified in. It's what we're hired in. It's our job title. Working out for a personal trainer is the entirety of our career and our lives. But a mathematician will tell you that is just a foolish approach. Right, Clients could come to me two to three times a week. That means we are working on your health and your goals two to three hours a week. But with 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week, that's 168 hours. 168 hours and I had the audacity to touch base with someone for three hours and think that was good enough. Three hours out of the week? That is 1.8% of your week. That is less than 2%. Nobody, nobody paid me to get them 2% results. 
Ignoring everything but working out was ignoring 98% of someone's life, ignoring 98% of someone's potential, and shortchanging them 98% of the results. Now with the online model, I'm able to touch base on more of those 168 hours. I can do daily contacts with clients. I can do contacts with people more often during those 168 hours to bring health and fitness back to the forefront, bring top of mind recognition so that people are empowered to make choices more regularly throughout the week. I'm also able to discuss more than just fitness, more than just workouts. I'm able to discuss nutrition. I'm able to discuss sleep stress management, support and accountability and mindset, not only exercise, but I can touch base on the entire spectrum of the holistic wheel. And more importantly, I can deliver that material in a position where people are able to receive it and learn from it and benefit from it. Oftentimes, I could talk to somebody about nutrition during a workout, but when you're huffing and puffing after squats, you really don't give a damn. You're just trying to survive and get through the set and get to the next workout. You don't care about the nuance between complex carbs and simple carbs, between sugar and starch and blah, 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 blah. Doesn't matter. You just want to do more squats or you just want squats to be over. Either which way, it's not the right time. With the online model, I'm really excited. I'm really glad that I can teach people more in a platform that they're able to absorb more and so that we can get more than just 2%. Another big mistake I made, and this one breaks my heart as a coach, but I often overlooked and ignored emotions. Now, ignore, I don't think is the right word. Um, I like to believe that I never straight up ignored someone's emotions or situations. But I definitely didn't validate or acknowledge them in the capacity that I should have as a coach. I would hear their emotions and then try to gently tell them what the right emotion should be. I never validated their own personal experience and that oftentimes put a barrier between the individual and the healthy habits we were trying to chase. I think my biggest failure at this came with my client Caroline. Caroline I had a lot of aversion to the gym. Caroline didn't want to go to the gym. Caroline worked with me when I was working at a gym in Seattle and we would go into the corners of the gyms and we would try to work out in places where people couldn't see us. We would, we would hide away and I always just rode her trying to convince her that it was okay to be in public, trying to convince her that it was okay to be in the gym. I wasn't hearing her emotions as well as I should have. And I was instead trying to change them. I was trying to alter them without validating them, without giving them the respect that they deserve. Look, let's be completely honest. My responsibility as a coach is not to force people into a box. It is not to get people results. My job is to allow people to become advocates for their own health. My job is to be an advocate for people's health and to give them opportunities to pursue their health. When I wasn't validating people's emotions, when I wasn't hearing their lived experience, when I was just trying to substitute that with my own, I wasn't being an advocate. I was being an adversary. I was creating another barrier, another hurdle, another obstacle for their success. And that 
that wasn't successful. That, that wasn't helpful and it was holding clients back. I needed to make a change. And over the last year, I have become absolutely ruthlessly dedicated to empathetic coaching, to listening to my clients, to feeling their emotions and understanding where they're coming from, how they got to this point so that I can provide the safety for them to explore change, provide the safety for them to explore their limitations and to try to build the trust so that I can offer alternative paths forward towards a healthier happier life, to build the trust where they can believe that I heard them, where they can believe that I know what they're going through and that I know what to get them to the next step so that they can believe that this is truly the right fit for them. And so one of the biggest mistakes I've made has been ignoring people's emotional histories and, and their situations and instead just trying to force them into a new one. And so I'm very, very excited to be focusing much, much more on the empathetic coaching and being an advocate instead of an adversary. And let's be honest, as an individual, when you start a new habit, are you just beating your head against the wall trying to force into some new situation, some new reality? Have you done the work to actually become an advocate for yourself or have you kind of made healthy habits adversarial without that acknowledgement of what the emotional state is? That would be my biggest challenge to you is be an advocate. Oh, sorry, I combined two words there. Be an advocate for yourself. Be an advocate for other people. Don't be an adversary by ignoring someone's true emotional state. Don't be an adversary to yourself by ignoring your true emotional state. And then let's, let's try to speed this up. I know this one's getting a lot really long-winded. The biggest one I want to talk about next is going to be trying to force people into a box without value. This has been my biggest mistake for the longest time as a coach. What we are trained as personal trainers to do is when someone comes in, and this is you'll see this with every weight loss program out there, Part of the intake process is to measure people, to judge people, to get some type of numbers associated with that people. Every weight loss program has a fascination with numbers. How much do you weigh? What's your body fat percentage? What's your waist circumference? We take these measures that mean literally nothing about the person we just measured and we elevate those numbers to the highest pedestal. We we focus on these numbers instead of the person, instead of the results. We focus on these numbers as if they're meaningful, as if they tell us something. But the reality is they're really kind of meaningless. They're often wildly inaccurate. They give no clear information. And like I said, they're ultimately meaningless. Look, I used to measure people's body fat percentage. And there's a multitude of ways you can do this. A DEXA body scan, an in-body scan. The, the hand scales, the, the scales you step on, skin caliber test, circumference and measurement tests. Like there's a lots of ways to measure someone's body fat and not a single one of them is true. Not a single one of them will give you an accurate number. They all have 
measures of unreliability that are off the chart. Their margin of error is often greater than the percent of change that we're looking to make, right? The bioimpedance bio analysis test, the BIA test, they usually have a measure a margin of error somewhere between five and 15%. Most people are trying to lose less than 15% body fat. If your margin of error includes the maximum amount of change that you can make, that margin of error tells you absolutely nothing about that test. That test tells you absolutely nothing. Every single one of your results, the margin of error may be greater than any possible change. Your weight, your weight, there are a multitude of factors that are involved in your weight. But just looking at that number doesn't tell you anything about what can be happening with that. There is, there is just so much inaccuracy, so much elevation of these meaningless metrics, and they just caused a lot of psychological and emotional damage to people. I saw people do tremendous things, lose inches off their waist, get stronger in their workouts, have more energy outside the gym, lose weight on the scale, and then they would step on a body fat test and the test would say that, that they gained body fat and they would instantly quit the workouts. They would lose all of the progress, all of the happy benefits that they had because some random number told them they were failing. Some random, meaningless, inaccurate number would invalidate who they are as a person and I cannot stand watching people continue to go down that trend. I'm getting a little worked out. Let me, let me take a breath. Look, all of these numbers are meaningless. I've got over a decade of experience and they've just done nothing but harm for people. What I do now is I help people define what their individual measure of success is. Now for people, this can, this can run quite the spectrum. A lot of people have their favorite pair of jeans that they're hiding in the back of their closet because it doesn't fit right. Right? If you put on those jeans and now after five years, they suddenly feel and look great, that is meaningful. That is successful. We want to measure that. We want to praise that. We want to elevate that. That means more than your scale does. For some people, they want to be able to pick up their kids and play without getting winded. That is a meaningful metric of success. Not your waist measure, not your scale weight. For some people, they want to be able to go out on adventures. They want to be able to have hiking opportunities with their friends and their family members. But they can't do it right now because they get winded, because they get out of shape, because they, they feel terrible. They feel embarrassed to hang out and hold their friends and family back. So they don't go out on adventures. And now, if you're able to go out on adventures and go on hikes and, and play with your friends and family members, that is a meaningful metric of success. That is what we want to do. For some people that wear belts all the time, their greatest moment of happiness is taking a couple notches off, getting a different hole in their belt, being able to wear their belt a little bit tighter. That is an everyday reality that you're going inter to interact with, that you're going to experience. And when you do that, that is a meaningful metric of success. What I want to do is I want people to have meaningful individual metrics of success. And so what I do when I work with new clients is I talk to them about what individual meaningful metrics of success means. And then I talk to them about what that is for them. For some people, it can, it, it can run quite a spectrum. For some people, there's a couple. 
There's a couple. For some people, there is one. I have one client that just said, you know what? I want to go to a meetup group, but I'm too embarrassed. I'm too scared to meet strangers. I'm too, I'm too afraid to present myself to a group of strangers. So when they have the confidence to be able to go to a meetup group, we'll know that the fitness program worked out. We'll know that they're healthier. We'll know that they're happier. We'll know that they're successful. Not because of some generic number that someone told you to, you have to fit into. No, because it had a meaningful impact on your life. And that, that is what I want people to do. That is what I want people to do. Instead of being forced into an individual box, if you are just focusing on your weight or just focusing on your waist or just focusing on that terrible, terribly inaccurate body fat number that your scale at home says, you might be setting yourself up for failure. You might be setting yourself up for some emotional trauma. You might be setting yourself up for, for just racking your brains for absolutely no reason. Instead, I want you to figure out what your definition of success is and measure that instead. How is this meaningful in your life? What, how does this meaningfully impact you? How does this make you better? How does this make you healthier? How does this make you happier? Define that, measure that, and chase that. Don't fit into someone else's box. Make the box your own. And look, I got a couple others that I could talk about, but we are getting a lot really, really winded on this one. And I don't want these episodes to go much beyond 10 minutes. And this one is approaching over 20 minutes. So we're going to wrap this up today. Come back. What I've got for you tomorrow is just talking about my whole paradigm as a whole. Why is this the Health Rebels podcast? Why is my business Health Rebels coaching? Why am I going with this Health Rebel shtick? What is the meaning behind health rebels? What does that mean? What, how do we do that? And more. So come back tomorrow. We're going to talk about why health rebel in tomorrow's episode. Until then, keep the oath. Hey, hey, thanks for listening to that episode of the health rebels podcast. Before you run off, I want to let you know about a free resource available for you. I do have a free Facebook community where I do daily live chats with other health rebels, provide more information, host group challenges, provide support, and just generally try to put more positivity on your newsfeed instead of the typically toxic political hate that we get surrounded by already. If you're not already in the Health Rebels Training Camp Facebook group, I'll tell you what, I'll sweeten the deal. When you join the Facebook group, I'll send you a free digital copy of my Health Rebels Pocketbook Guide. This little book highlights some of the hidden forces that have conspired against our health and happiness and gives you two powerful tools to fight back. You can join the Health Rebels Training Camp group by visiting www.facebook.com groups healthrebels. That's an S after both groups and health rebels. Or by checking out the show notes. You can also search on Facebook for Health Rebels Training Camp. I hope to see you inside.